people have opinions without being fully informed. Trust me, I'm a Canadian here. I don't care if you're a Christian, Messianic, or Hebrew roots. I want to know if your theology is biblical. Maybe I'm right. Of course I'm right. If you're going to cite a source, be responsible. You know, cite your source. Your longest college. Hey, we're just having a conversation. There's only 36 people listening anyway, right? You can Google it. Wow, at what point does history matter? At what point does truth matter? An alien invasion. Is it biblical? Of course it is. Look, there's a way to do scholarship and a way not to do scholarship. you got to cite your source. Who's your source? My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows his kid is going with the girlfriend. And that about sums it up. What up, and shalom. Welcome to the Robin Caleb Show, the show where theology matters, scholarship counts, and theology matters. Sorry about my technical issues. This is one reason I'm not a, a real producer. Uh, what up, Rob? How's it going, brother? It's going very well. <clears throat> All right. So for those on the radio, you've already heard this once, and I apologize for that. My uh, my my skills as a producer are are still growing, and I uh, yeah I forgot to uh, open up our channels to our YouTube stream in terms of audio. Anyway, so as we were saying, for those who were uh, listening on radio, let's not uh, let's not uh, hold this back any longer. We're bringing a guest on today, and our guest is a fellow student and uh, genius of languages, uh, Andre Philippe. Th- uh, no, say, say your last name for me. Terrien. Yeah, that. Terrien. Te, te, uh, Very good, Rob. Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> good enough. Uh, so, uh, so Andre has been a uh, a fellow a fellow student at Torah Resource Institute now for several years. <clears throat> he is. Uh, I knew he was going to be a uh, a force to be reckoned with when he far exceeded everyone in all of the language classes, Hebrew. Greek. I think you took Aramaic as well, didn't you? Yeah, last. Th- this is my last semester of Aramaic. Good gracious, um, I'm still struggling in first year Hebrew or first year Greek. He's, uh, yeah, he's far beyond me. Anyway, uh, the reason that uh, Andre is a special student at Torah Resources is, is because I'm Canadian, just like that guy in the intro. Uh huh. Yeah. I know. I was gonna say. Like, <laughs> Trust me, I'm a Canadian. Here. Yeah, exactly. No, that's not the reason why. The real reason why is because Andre is on track now to be the first student at Torah Resource Institute to graduate with a three-year certificate. Um, he will be the first and hopefully not the last. But uh, it, it's a great feat, not only for Andre personally, but also for uh, Torah Resource Institute. It's very nice to finally have somebody. You know, I was on track to be the first one to graduate with a three-year certificate. Uh, but then I had kids. So there's that. Uh, so anyway, our our uh, our show today is uh, being streamed, and it's not uh, at its normal time. So, so we're not gonna <laughs> what? That's just funny. <laughs> we're not gonna we're not going to have a bunch of people in the uh, chat room. I don't think if we do, that's great. Um, but I don't think we will. Um, and right now we actually have six people in the chat room. Wow, that's that's impressive. Well, welcome to the chat room and what up in Shalom. So today we are going to uh, to talk to Andre about uh, various things um, about Torah Resource Institute, some of the experiences that he's had. But uh, most of all, we're going to also talk about his thesis. Now, for those who have followed Torah Resource Institute or Torah Resource in general, you know that Andre actually presented at last year's camp, right? Was it last year or was it a year before? It was, it was last, last summer. Yeah, 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 last summer. Okay, so last summer, um, Andre presented, and I'm not going to ruin it because he's writing his thesis on this now. We, we've actually had people uh, write in and, and challenge your uh, what you said. Uh, a lot of what you said actually uh, got wrapped up into our Christmas special and some of uh, our Easter special as well. Actually, Passover special or Easter, I don't know. One of our specials. We have a lot of specials around here. Um, anyway, so uh, let's dive in. But before we dive in, I do want to say just a couple of things. First of all, don't forget to uh, give us a call on our comment line, 253-465-3205. I'll give it to you one more time. Get your pen and paper ready. It is 253-465-3205. And also, uh, The Robin Caleb Show is brought to you by TorahResource.com. 
Go to Torah Resource and find all sorts of great things. And not only that, but sign up for classes at Torah Resource Institute, just like Andre did, what, three years ago? That's right. Three years ago. And you only have, what, one class left, right? After this semester, yeah. So after this semester, you have one class left. And what class is it? Uh, part two of History of Christianity. So from the Reformation to today. And that was... Uh, so With Ariel that, Berkowitz. Yeah, that that course, one and two, the both classes was my favorite course at, oh, yeah. at Torah Resource. Uh, uh, Ariel is just an amazing teacher, but mm-hmm. not only that, he makes it really fun. It's a re- Now, uh, no offense to you, Rob. Hey, offense none to taken. you. None but, taken. Uh, th- that class, was it, it was more like uh, reading a novel than anything else. You know, it just so much information coming through, which is, which is really great. Um, <clears throat> okay, and also, uh, the Rob and Caleb Show is brought to you by... YeshuaShirts.com. Go to YeshuaShirts.com. Yep, Andre's sporting it right now. Go to YeshuaShirts.com, put in the uh, the coupon code TRRADIO, and get 10% off. Okay, so let's get into it. Uh, I, I guess the, the best place to start Andre, and Andre's actually sitting next to me. I know it, it looks like a, a triple split screen, but it's uh, Andre's actually just, yes, well. That's <laughs> <laughs> too <Yeah>. far. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. There we go. Uh, Andre's right there. So anyway, uh, so Andre, I guess the best place to start is uh, why why did you decide to take... Now, first of all, you're how old? I'm 24. Just 20, turned 24. 24. So you started classes at Torah Resource Institute when you were 21. That's right. Okay. So why did you choose Torah Resource Institute? What, I mean, what well, was the thought process? Well, I've, I actually haven't been a believer for a very long time, and um, maybe... A year and a half before I started taking classes, or two years, I became a believer, and a year later I joined uh, the the fellowship that I'm uh, that I'm with now in in Edmonton, um, and I took the new members class there. And when that finished in April of what year was that? 2013 or 14? Uh, 2014. Um, I really wanted to, you know, this was the first time in my life that I felt really strongly that I wanted to study this more, to study, you know, the Bible and and uh, history a lot more. Um, but I didn't want to go to a, a Bible college or some sort of Christian place that would be uh, against you know, my Torah views. You know, I was I was convinced of Torah, but still, I didn't think it'd be a good idea, good, a good experience for me to do that. And so I didn't know where to go, and I looked up and you know online and couldn't find anything. Um, and then our, our pastor had uh, had Tim you had your father over Caleb uh, to teach over one weekend, um, and you were there to film. And during the break times, you uh, you told me what it was like to take classes with Torah Resource Institute. So it's actually it's uh, all your fault. Um, so <laughs> I yeah, said I mean, it and you did it. Yeah, <laughs> I I um I didn't really um, consider any other options. You know, it was um, the, to me the choice was just obvious. It's like, oh, I can do this online. Um, it's uh, the price wasn't too expensive and um, yeah it it looked the classes looked really interesting and it was with uh, with the Torah observant you know teachers so who love who love Yeshua so so are you uh, I mean obviously this is plugging Torah Resource Institute which we love to do um, but uh, so what, what do you, overall thoughts are you happy that you, uh, that you oh absolutely yeah B- uh, best uh, best decision um, of my life. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it's it's funny because I'm gonna come out with uh, an unrecognized, you know, uh, just certificate of completion, right? So it's not worth anything any, anywhere, but it's the the education that I got is um, is is worth um, gold, you know, is it's, it's weightier than gold. So well, we're we're gonna talk uh, also where you're gonna go from here because uh, Andre is actually making a move from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and uh, he will be making a move down our way, and so we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but before we do, let's let's stay on the topic shortly of Torah Resource Institute and mm-hmm. and some of the work that you did there. So, uh, if for those who might not know the format of Torah Resource Institute, we have um, most classes you have to write a paper um, or do some kind of final exam, something like that. So, obviously, three years you're taking what five classes a quarter. Uh, average, yeah. <laughs> on average. So you're obviously doing a lot of work, but is there maybe two or three papers that you wrote or things that stuck stuck out in your mind of things that you remember throughout the year, the three years? Um, well, in terms of, I don't know, the I think the paper for me that was the most fun and satisfying to write was the one that I wrote for the Studies in Torah class uh, in the Torah with uh, Rob Van Hoff mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. on uh, the issue of the Ger in the Torah. 
um, because in that class we looked through we looked through a little bit of history of you know of how different people uh, you know like early Christians like um, Augustine and then how uh, later rabbinic interpreters um, consider different portions of the different important uh, texts in the Torah and um, and so I can't remember what is what it is that we read I think it was on on the the parasha portion that covers um, the Ten Commandments. But uh, who was it that was saying, I think it was Rashi, someone, someone anyway was, was saying, um, no, it wasn't Rashi, I can't remember, but w- uh, one of these, Ramban, mi- maybe? Yeah, Ram- um, maybe. yeah, one of these me- medieval rabbis was saying that the mixed multitude that came out of Egypt, uh, you know, they recognized that that meant there were non-Israelites with the Israelites, well, they were saying that they were kept separate from the mountains, so they weren't at the foot of the mountain with all the other Israelites, they're just, you know, Egyptians and whoever else, they were like somewhere else. And so they didn't receive the, you know, the Ten Commandments. And I thought, well, you know, that's just absurd. Where do you get this idea? And I thought it would be um, an interesting question to look at is the gear in the Torah just because of, uh, of, well, it's an issue you've dealt on the show here is um, the issue of uh, one Torah versus, you know, a view that says that the Jews have commandments that, that uh, Gentile believers don't, right, uh, to follow. So I disagree with that. And I think the the Torah clearly shows if you look at it carefully that the the status of the 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 gear was expected to want to take part in all of the f- festivities and and rules and um and ordinances of God's Torah because they wanted to worship the God of Israel the way the God of, of the the way the God of Israel says he is to be um served it's interesting so. that you say that because like what, the first thing that my mind goes to is God brought the gears like the gear out of Israel, out of Egypt too, right? Like he redeemed them from Israel from Egypt too. Yeah, yeah. And so they come out of Egypt. They want to serve the the God that brought them out of Egypt, and just like you know, he brought them out just like he brought everybody out, right? Yeah. So anyway, so keep keep going. So uh, now was that the paper you had a paper published uh, in the first? So we've had two now, and you can find this on TorahResource.com. If you go to TorahResource.com and hover over the Institute. Um, the tab, then go down to the alumni quarterly. We've put out two alumni quarterlies. Your article, one of your articles was featured in the first alumni quarterly. What was that on? That was on, that was for the class on uh, theology proper, where we look at the, the attributes of God as they're presented in, in uh, the entire scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. And uh, well, one of the attributes that stuck me as quite important was the um, immutability of God, which is this idea that uh, he is um, not dependent upon anything and that he doesn't change, right? Um, hmm. You know, uh, and which is in, in the Torah, there's a, few, there's a few verses that contrast that really clearly between humans and, and God, right? We change and we're uh, unfaithful and untrustworthy, but he isn't. And um, well, I, I just asked the question, well, if God's standard of righteousness changes... Um, with the coming of Yeshua or with the giving of the Holy Spirit, wherever, you know, any evangelical wants to say that that happens, um, then what does that say about God's immutability? Because then his standard of righteousness has changed, and now we don't know, you know, is he just still? You know, is he, or if he changes, is he trustworthy still? Hmm. And so I think, um, I'm just asking the question, like, what what do um, non-Torah views of, uh, non-Torah Christians' views of the Torah um how, do they, how does that affect how we understand who God is? And I think um, I think it's bad. <laughs> so we should we should affirm that the Torah that, that God's standard for righteousness is the same throughout all ages. Okay. So uh, now, Rob, anything you want to add to this? I mean, you were his teacher, and you were Andre's teacher in in numerous classes. Uh, anything that stands out to you that he's uh, that he's written or done? Oh, just uh, generally. Uh, I really have been blessed by meeting and getting to know Andre and his heart for the Lord and his uh, really sharp mind and ability to make, you know, real keen observations and to ask good questions that reflect thoughtful, you know, thoughtful interaction and engagement with, with all the different topics that we dive into from course to course. Um, you know, there's, it's a quite a, a quite a, a buffet. If you look at all the different course offerings, you know that we have on the table, mm-hmm. as like this buffet, and and to realize that Andre has gone through and almost all of it, <laughs> yeah, demonstrated uh, 
a really strong competency in all these uh, areas. It's 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 wonderful. It's it's just such a wonderful um, uh, thing to be part of that and to hopefully be an encouraging voice yeah. to Andre as well as other students who are uh, years ahead of me. If you know when I was Andre when I was your age, I was I. I hadn't really thought about the Bible being in Greek or Hebrew or stuff like that. You still you had know? a mullet, huh? You still had a mullet. Yeah, you were I, playing even, in a band. I didn't even know what a I didn't even know what a Hebrew word picture was at that oh. time. <laughs> <laughs> For those who haven't seen uh, Rob's mighty mullet, please go to our Facebook page and look at our our uh, pictures. Oh, uh, did you put it up there? I think okay. that there's a couple of mullet pictures, and I think I'm not positive, but I think that there might be some acid wash jeans in there as well. The '80s called. They <laughs> want their their haircut back. Okay, so um, now, you, so you've talked about the paper that you wrote on uh, the gear, and you've talked about uh, the one that you wrote uh, that was published in the in the quarterly. Is there I, one more that stands out to you, or? Um, yeah, it was the the paper that I wrote for for Tim Hegg's class, the Messiah and the Tanakh, um, where I, I I read through a little bit of uh, Rambam's um, was it Guide to the Perplexed? Sorry, yeah, Maimonides' Guide to the Perplexed, I think. Um, was it uh, some one of his writings where and I just you know through a PDF document I tried to search for every occurrence where he talks about these passages in the Torah, like in Genesis 18, where it says that Yorhevave appears in the flesh and eats. Uh, meat, uh, a, a meal of meat and milk, ironically, um, and uh, and just how you know how does Ra- how does Rambam you know rationalize this away um, because they can't have uh, R- rabbinic Judaism can't have a um, a physical uh, a god who who has a physical form because that's um, giving credence to maybe what we would say uh, mm. you know, how we say God um, has appeared in history. Sure. In Yeshua. So that was interesting. <clears throat> okay. So let's move now to your thesis because your thesis is uh, is an interesting one. And you've had, you seem to have had a lot of opportunities that uh, other students probably will never have. For instance, well, first of all, one of the reasons I think that you're so good at, uh, at language studies is because English is not actually your first language, right? That's, yeah. I learned English when I went to daycare. <laughs> Learned English when you went to daycare, so your first language is? French. French. So uh, I think that people who are, are bilingual uh, from a young age have a much easier time learning languages later in life. Um, I could be wrong about that, but I think that you're the proof in the pudding. Um, so, But that's not what you're writing your thesis on. Tell us a little bit about what you're writing your thesis on, and uh, then after that we'll get into some of the opportunities that you've had uh, concerning your thesis. Okay, so I'm writing my thesis on a book called The Two Babylons, which is uh, very easy to find online, written by a man, uh, a, a minister in the Free Church of Scotland in 1858. Well, actually it was written in 1853, that's the thing. There's multiple editions and it grew um, from the first to the second edition, but the edition that everyone reads online is the third or fourth edition. Um, and uh, anyway, sorry. Um, getting into de- the details already. So in no, this, this is good. In this book, In the Two Babylons, Alexander Hislop argues that the Roman Catholic Church is, um, is well, he, he, he presumes with everyone, every other Protestant of his age that the Roman Catholic Church is the beast of Revelation 17 and 18. But beyond that, what he says is that uh, Roman Catholicism is entirely and, you know, completely genetically related to uh, the pagan Babylon of Genesis 11, so before the dispersion of the Tower of Babel, right? So, um, so he's taking a, a biblical view of, of all of human history, but he's, yeah, he's saying that from, from before the dispersion, um, elements of whatever that pagan religion was back then um, are all of Roman Catholicism. And so as, I, as I've been reading and studying him, um, I realized what was what was the one thing that was special about his thesis that put him apart from everyone else? And that's what it is. It's that everything Roman Catholic is pagan in origin. Others of his day, like, you know, many reformers would have said that the, um, the Pope is the man of sin or the Antichrist or that Rome is the beast of revelation. None of that is new. Um, and some of them might have said that they're pagan theologically, but none of them would have said that, you know, uh, I don't know, the doctrine of, of, you know, doctrines re- relating to Mary or to transubstantiation come directly from from ancient Babylon, uh, you know, 2000 BC and earlier. Um, but this is what Alexander Hislop would say, and that's what he tries to to prove in his 
book. Um, yeah, there we go. That's the summary. Okay, so 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 that's the summary of. Uh, it seems like that's more the sum summary of Hislop's uh, two Babylons. What is the the goal oh, yeah. or the the meaning of of your thesis? What do you what's the what are you attempting to show? Right. Well, the the problem is that this this edition this this book has been. Um, Re republished and reproduced and like I said it's really easy to find online and lots of teachers um, in Protestantism maybe in, in general in English speaking uh, evangelicalism and in the Hebrew roots and, and Torah observant movement have been influenced by his ideas and by his, his theory and also his, his methodology and they, um, they repeat what I think is misinformation or, or just things that we don't know or haven't proven or maybe um, that can't be proven and that this includes, especially in the Hebrew roots movement, the argument that I'm sure a lot of people have heard on the radio, um, on, who listen to this radio, I mean, um, that uh, Christmas and Easter are pagan in origin. And, uh, you know, for example, that I seriously, I seriously question, especially when it comes to Easter. Um, so th this is the reason I'm writing this thesis, is so that we get a, a better view of who Hislop was, what he was trying to accomplish, and... Um, you know, if there's any good in the two Babylons, what that is, and then I, I want to go over all the things that Hislop did wrong, and um, and I just want to call, you know, believers and teachers to, um, especially teachers who have a higher responsibility, right, as um, who's it, James or Peter tells mm -hmm, us that. James, yeah. Um, especially teachers to uh, be more careful and more, more studious and, you know, to work hard to try before, before they speak. <laughs> And before they teach things that other people are just going to take and, and run with. Um, yeah. Let's go back for a few seconds because a lot of people, I mean, obviously, people who listen to this show on a regular basis are going to know about our Christmas special that we did last December. They're going to know about our Passover special. And yeah. uh, we usually do, in concert with a Passover special the week before, we usually do an Easter special as well. I don't, I don't remember if we did that this year, but we did talk about... Um, some some things that had to do with with uh, Easter. It might be a shock for some of our new listen newer listeners, and and maybe a shock for people um, that are still in the Christian Church, or maybe maybe more of a shock for people in the Hebrew Roots movement to hear you say that Christmas and Easter might not have pagan origins. Um, let's talk. Let's open that that can of worms for just a second okay. here. So when we talk about uh, Hislop, when we talk about two Babylons. What I mean, why would you why would you believe that something like say Christmas or or um, even I mean obviously Easter everyone uh, knows that the big talking point on Facebook around uh, the time of Easter is that it comes from Ishtar right it's the right, the yeah. goddess Ishtar so um, why would you say that these aren't these don't have pagan origins isn't it obvious right well okay so that's that's a good example so. I mean, this is what Hislop does in his book all the time. And so Easter sounds like Ishtar, right? And, you know, maybe, maybe it's possible that there is a link um, between these two words. Um, I don't think so. And your, your dad's written a paper against uh, that understanding. Um, but that's making uh, an, a huge assumption or a, making huge conclusion just based on etymology. And that's not what we have to do. The, the you know... The, the name of the, the feast or the name of the celebration can have nothing to do with the celebration. It just might be because of the time of the year or something. But um, if you want to look at whether the celebration is pagan in origin or not, you have to go, you know, you have to see who celebrated it at the first time and who, when it was started, it started to be called this or that. And um, so when it comes to Easter, well, Easter is just, um, just the English and German name for the, f the celebration of Pascha which is a celebration that all Christians, uh, well, almost all Christians in all of Christian history have celebrated, which is, uh, I suppose, maybe the Christian Passover or something, which is Passover without, without the Jewish elements, without Exodus and without um, just thinking about the resurrection and, and who Yeshua was and what he did. And so, um, yeah, that's, well, that's, that's where Easter comes from. And that's, you know, we can look at the church fathers and we can look at, at um, who who celebrated this um, from the earliest times. And as far as we know, it's the earliest Christian celebration. Okay. Um, but, but maybe the argument would be posed, oh, Andre, you're ju you just want to have a Christmas tree in your house. You just want to go to your, your, Christmas, uh, your family's Christmas uh, gathering, and that's why you're, that's why you're championing, championing this, this uh, outlook. I mean, 
Well, if, personally, I don't really care if, if anyone <laughs> celebrates Christmas or not. I think that the um, custom having a tree in your house is a little weird. Um, and if I was to do it, I would want to give like some sort of biblical theme or reason for it, right? Um, but otherwise, I mean, I don't I don't celebrate uh, Christmas. I've I haven't helped my parents set up the tree uh, in a long time, and uh, yeah, I mean. So in other words, what, not, what I hear you saying is that you have no personal you have no personal no. attachment to these things. You're just trying to look at, at sources for what they are. Yeah, I'm I'm concerned with people knowing what is true and and with establishing the truth with certainty and yeah um, and valuing the hard work that goes along with finding out what truth is right. That's what scholarship is all about and historical I- inquiry is all about. Rob, do you want to jump in here at all? I have I I'll just keep going if you don't have anything. But go well, for I it. just I wonder if uh, Andre, if you could unpack, kind of go even a little more ab- uh, general. In, in this principle. So basically what you're doing in your thesis is zeroing in on one example of a larger problem that you just kind of talked about of uh, a couple minutes ago about what, what makes scholarship good, mm-hmm. right? What, um, what is our um, way of learning to discern a good method versus a, an erroneous or faulty method, mm-hmm. and then the types of disciplines that are involved with establishing um, that, you know, what we want to say is a, a good and proper and healthy method for the sake of teaching, right? For the sake of advancing knowledge um, to the best of our ability. And it's obviously it's not an easy task, but um, I guess if I were to ask you a question, I would say, do you see... But, and because we, we also quoted James chapter three, and I started thinking about the tongue, you know, a little uh, it can a little flame can kindle a huge fire, right? That's one mm-hmm. kind of, and that I don't know that I would say hyslop is a as a a flaming tongue that that has set a whole forest on fire. But the the picture is there is that someone who is out there with a message that is inaccurate, but yet sounds good and is catchy people take it and run with it and it expands and now it creates a certain kind of job for like you <laughs> to go back and try to say okay we got to rain we got to rain all this in because it's really now with YouTube and and everything out there people are getting uh, distracted and excited about the wrong kinds of things it's not that we don't want people excited about the word and excited about what they're learning but it's like we want that to be um what is good and true and right and uh, uh, proven, et cetera. Right. Anyway, could, what are your thoughts along those lines in terms of a larger general need in the body of Messiah with respect to knowledge? Um, well, uh, well, yeah, I guess so. Basically, um, if, if we want to, if teachers want to... Um, inquire, you know, if teachers want to be teaching the Bible and God's word, or if they want to be teaching any, any principle or any history, they have to, um, they have to do the, the, the groundwork of looking at their sources, and they have to do um, the groundwork of considering their methodology of how they're going about this, and, and the, the logic between what they're, what they're saying. Um, <laughs> There's the weighing out, right? I mean, if you think, you know, the whole that it's almost a poem, right? James chapter three about the tongue. How does James chapter three start? Let not many of you become didascaloi teachers Mm -hmm. because we will incur the stricter judgment. And then he talks about the man who's able to, um, who will not stumble in his word is the perfect man. And then he talks about the horses with bridles, you know, the the ships with rudders Mm -hmm. and all this kind of thing. It seems like, all this wonderful, uh, vivid portrayal of, of the dangers of erroneous speech or evil speech, etc., is framed under the larger category of don't just be a teacher, right? Don't just consider yourself a teacher. Recognize that that's a there's a weighty um, set of disciplines and obligations and responsibilities pertaining yeah. to that role. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, I want to jump in here. I'm sorry to sorry to jump in. That's okay. What did he answer your question, Rob? I, it was I don't a even long know if I asked. <laughs> I don't okay. even know if I asked him. Sorry. Okay, no, no, no. Uh, because the chat room has a question, and thank you for everybody who's in the chat room right now, and thank you also to uh, to Gary and to Michael, who uh, basically. Uh, help produce this show in in their own ways, and uh, so I hope that we got uh, Rob's audio working right. Mary asks in the chat room. She says Andre stated he didn't believe these holidays, that is uh, Christmas and Easter, have pagan origins. Can he answer then why he doesn't celebrate them? So uh, oh. I I think that the question is obviously if if uh, if they're not pagan, then then why not celebrate them? Because I have other things to do on the twenty fifth, <laughs> and it's a it's a it's a public holiday. So I mean, when I when I was working, it was great. It was a day for me to do homework. Um, so I mean, okay, but the, I, the reason I think maybe uh, is is that it's I mean it's not the Bible. It's it's not commanded. Um, so so I don't feel any obligation to do it. Um, but you know, when it comes to Easter, well, e- Easter is on the wrong date, and it's been separated from the the week of unleavened bread and from the Jewish Passover. Because of church history, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna celebrate it on the wrong date with the wrong focus. Um, I think the, the 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 messianic focus of of Passover of looking at both the Exodus and and the the cross um, at the same time that's the way we should be celebrating it. We can't the the Christian celebration of Easter completely forgets um, Israel and the story of the the redemption from Egypt from Egypt. Yeah, growing up, my experience was the same way. It was there, there was no connection whereas it's clear in the gospels yeah. that these are together right? yeah and and it's at the wrong time so <clears throat> right is, is it's not lo- following the jewish calendar is rob loud enough for you by the way sorry i can hear yeah i'm gonna bring him up just a hair okay um i hope that answered the question i think that uh for me um you know i still wrestle with uh where some of the the christmas things come from and i i know that you know rob and i you can always go back and watch our Christmas special. Uh, Rob disagrees, and that's that's fine. Um, but I have I would never be dogmatic about it. However, there's enough question for me that I I'm not going to, uh, you know, be uh, mm. be putting up the uh, the holly and the and the <laughs> the mistletoe. Um, and it seems that there is some pagan, uh, maybe some pagan influence that has come in from some places. And because mm. of that, I w- would avoid Christmas. Your explanation of Easter, though, is a very good one. Um, and for me personally, and then once again, this is per- personal, uh, I have a family, not obviously not my parents, but I have uh, in-laws and whatnot that, that celebrate uh, Christmas and Easter. And so it's, uh, <clears throat> for me, uh, you know, I have, I have relatives that are strong believers and uh, they're celebrating Easter. And to them, they think that they're celebrating basically the same thing I am during Passover, and they wouldn't—they d- don't understand why I wouldn't be a part of that. So my wife and I actually go to, uh, you know, the the Easter brunch that they put on mm-hmm. every year. They don't have, uh, you know, they they've made sure that they don't have ham on the uh, on the on the table or anything like that. And uh, you know, my children don't take part in Easter egg hunts or anything like that. But uh, we we uh, do enjoy talking about the resurrection and about uh, the Messiah. And so I, you know, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Now, of course, there's people out there who are going to. I'm sure my inbox will be flooded with people telling me I'm a heretic, um, which is fine. Okay, um, I will continue to read some more of the chat room while Andre goes on, but. Uh, this whole study that you're doing for your thesis, mm-hmm. um, you touched on this just a little bit earlier, and let's get back to it. You you said something about kind of the influence that we've seen uh, within uh, Protestantism, but also within the Messianic and Hebrew Roots movement. So how has Hislop actually, I mean, are there things that you can think of directly that have influenced the Messianic and Hebrew Roots movement by Hislop's two Babylons? Right, so, uh, uh, well, I guess there's the the... the sort of mythology that we're told in the Hebrew Roots Movement relating to the, the origins of, of Easter or Christmas, where, um, like, I'm sure some people maybe have heard, you know, um, what's her name, Semiramis dying and, and going to heaven, but then being rejected by heaven and coming back down in the form of an egg and hatching and, I don't know, bunnies being all a part of it. And, um, <laughs> well, um, I don't know, so, so the stories themselves maybe. um and the total non-historicity of some of the stories that are being told is one problem. Another problem, for example, is has to do with meta- etymology. Um, and a few years, uh, sorry, a few shows back, 
um, you guys talked um, about someone who, well, I don't know, I heard someone, you, you were talking about someone who was saying that um, the, the Greek god Bacchus, or Roman god Bacchus, Bacchus yeah. um, came from Bar Kush. Well, that's, this is exactly the kind of thing that Alexander Hislop would do in his, um, in his book all the time, is he would look at the name of a place or a, f a festival or a god and then just put it back into, into what he would call Chaldean, which was either Hebrew or Aramaic. And, you know, if there was anything that sounded close enough, you know, he might change a few letters here and there. It might be a different consonant. But if there was anything that was close enough, he'd relate it to it. And then it's like, oh, well, this is th what it means and where it comes from. Um, and actually, ironically, as I told Rob in an email, um, Alexander Hislop does give um, does give uh, the Greek name or I don't know, a different Greek name for. Um, oh no, it's the it's the Ethiopians. I think he says that they mean their name means like descendant of Ethiops or something. So it's like son of Cush, but in Greek. But he still mm. relates it to the same. I don't know. It's <laughs> it's it's the oh, same yeah. thing that happens, but in Greek instead. Um, and anyways, there's. Um, there's, there's no, uh, this is not a method where you're proceeding from, you know, known facts and, and, you know, connecting dots together that can be solidly connected. Um, you know, for example, I don't know, to give a silly example, the second half of my first name is Philip, which comes from Greek Philippos, which means lover of horses. You know, I've ridden on one horse in my life, I think, and it was not a pleasant experience for me. <laughs> so, you know, etymology doesn't doesn't actually tell you anything about where it comes from or, or, or who it is very often. Um, you know, um, you know and, and another example is within the sacred name movement, um, people say, uh, you know, Baal means Lord and Adonai means Lord. Therefore, um, therefore, we can't use the title Adonai. Oh, I know. I've heard, you know, I've and heard oh golly. So that's a, maybe a similar example. So why are you saying Lord? Well, yeah. it's the same as Baal. You're saying you might as well just... It's just crazy. Yeah, so, does, it, but that's silly, even because in Jeremiah, the Lord uses Baal, yeah, himself as like husband or Lord. Yeah, or and and yeah. and David calls the name of a city, um, uh, what is it, Baal Zephon, or I can't remember. No, but Baal Perazim, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's it's actually referring to Adam, to Hashem to to Yorevave, um, winning this victory for David. But he calls it Lord of, and he uses the title Baal instead. Um, so. David okay. Didn't think so, it was wrong. so I want to, if I may, if I go just for a it. footnote there, because that's another example, kind of back yeah. to that larger yeah. general principle. It's like someone who's short circuiting the system, right? That mm -hmm. this word sounds like this word, and they're gonna they put them together, and all of a sudden, all there's electricity, and then they can sell books and go out and get people excited, mm -hmm. and then people have some sort of association of excitement or thrill of new knowledge. I wonder if they get addicted to that or something. Yeah. And then they then it's like And it's easy to do. That, yeah, and then they you associate just have to be creative. that with truth. Yeah. Now they, they're associating whatever this excitement or sensationalist kind of feeling that they have with truth. And it's and they didn't have to labor for it. Mm. <laughs> There's absolutely no labor involved. They didn't have to learn Hebrew. And I called this like many times I've started Hebrew classes, like wherever I was living locally, and you see like you know, it, it it's hard, right? Language is hard, mm. but you get early on. There's people who want to come and learn, and then they but they want to talk about the word pictures, and they want to start reading that way. And it's like once they learn that that's not what Hebrew class is, at least the way I'm going to teach it, <laughs> they those are one among the first to like drop off because they they already have their little code book and they are ready to go interpret. Anyway, right? Short but it's, it's all yeah, it's short circuiting in itself. It's fruitless uh, because there was no work put into it. Good, good point. Okay, um, I want to take a little rabbit trail here. We'll get back to uh, your your recent excursions uh, for your thesis in okay. a few seconds. But uh, Mary once again has a follow up question. She says, with regard to Christmas, she says, "I believe you mentioned your parents did so. Uh, uh, you probably grew up with it. So, what was the changing point?" day off as you say or is it more so and earlier in the in uh the interview you said that uh you came to the lord when you were what 20 21 years old yeah. so were you raised in a in a believing home well, when did you come how did how did you come to faith in the in the messiah well um i, I come from a my, my parents are both um french they're french canadians so the the base the 
the religion of the culture was, when they grew up, was Roman Catholic. So that's sort of what they raised me as until a certain age. And then, and then we just stopped going and, and my parents stopped um, trying to inculcate those values in me. Um, but I was sent to Catholic school, French Catholic school, from, you know, all the way to, to through grade 12. So um, I don't know. I just, w <laughs> I think it was even before I became a believer that I was telling my parents, well, this is a silly holiday. It's just a big commercial uh, thing and you and we're all getting stressed about buying each other's gifts so so I told them how about we don't buy each other gifts and they were like oh well, that's a good idea so um, yeah I mean for them Christmas is a time to get with friends and to um, and to celebrate but they're they're not really believers so um, so no, a non-religious holiday yeah yeah and so I mean for me it was for for them it wasn't a big deal that I didn't participate or or yeah sure okay so now. The part that I've been waiting for. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, when I, and I'll tell a little story first. When I was in Israel, I knew I was going to have to get out of the country for uh, a certain amount of time so that my, life, or my uh, visa could be uh, renewed. On the top of my list of places I wanted to go was Scotland. I have yeah. yet to go to Scotland. Instead, I went to Austria and Switzerland. When I traveled later, I went over to Germany, Denmark, and Sweden. So I have yet to make it to my number one place on my list. However, I am living vicariously now through Andre, who just got back from Scotland. And you went to Scotland for your thesis, right? That's right. And the ironic part, I guess, after this intro is that I didn't, uh, I didn't, do the, I didn't play the tourist. So. You didn't play the tourist? No. Uh, Michael wants to know if you tried haggis. I tried. I tried vegetarian haggis. Oh, that's not haggis. <laughs> I was. I was going to, but I don't think it's kosher. It's got suet in it. So I think. I think if you want like biblically kosher, you'd have to. There is. There is a, a orthodox kosher um, deli in in uh, what's the other city in Scotland? It starts Edinburgh. with an S. Gla Gla oh. Glasgow. Sorry, it doesn't start with Glasgow? an S. In in Glasgow, there's a there's an orthodox deli there that makes some. But I wasn't going to travel to Glasgow for haggis. And yeah, aren't you a vegetarian? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I would have tried some uh, though if I could have if if it was kosher, right? So, okay, so tell tell us now. You said you you didn't go to play the tourist. Uh, what uh, what did you go for then? How did it relate to your uh, to your thesis? I I went um, most days. I went to the National Library of Scotland, and so this is a a, le a research library. It's not like any uh, university or public library I'd been to before. Um, and basically, they have all sorts of documents. Uh, of all kinds from from Scottish history, um, and you can and it's for yeah it's for research. You request them and they they bring them to you, and then you can't leave the space with these books because I mean I was reading the books that I was reading from Alexander Hislop were written in the or printed in the eighteen fifties, right? So some of them the binding was breaking off and that the back was breaking off, and um, you know they have these little. Uh, what is it called? They have some sort of system of cushions and you have um, weights to keep the pages open. And so basically I took pictures of every book that Alexander or every everything that Alexander Hislop ever published that is cataloged in libraries. That's did you what have I went to, to do. Did you have to wear white gloves? No. <laughs> no, the, docu <laughs> the documents weren't that old or fragile. It was... It was the paper was still. It was, uh, it's not like there's a cigarette hanging. <laughs> no, no, no. With an inch of uh, ash. That's like those old Dead Sea Scroll pictures. They're like, <laughs> they got cigarettes. They're smoking on like Scotch taping these. these oh, no. Okay, so so, uh, but let's go back. Maybe someone might say, "Well, what what would the point of even doing that be?" I mean, I'm sure well, you could find that stuff right, online, yeah. right? No, no, you can't. That's the that, exactly. That's the problem. So so even even the two Babylons, there's. Um, there are th three, um, the, the main edition that everyone has is the fourth edition. There's not many differences between, between the third and the fourth, but between the first and the second and the second and the third edition, there's a lot of differences in size and in footnotes and in images. The, the first edition was actually only a pamphlet. It was like 60 pages. The second edition was 400 something pages, right? Um, so... Um, so yeah, and I also yeah, that's the thing. None none of his other books were available online, so they haven't because they haven't been republished, reprinted. And this is gonna be they've just been the, forgotten the, by history. On the cover of Andre's book, never before. Yes, <laughs> yes. To the mystery revealed from the world's oldest library. I'm I'm gonna hire you for my marketing. <laughs> Laboriously collected for your for the first time published. In one place. Well, no, no, no. What, what you, what you, we all know that what you have to do is put the words mystery 
and key and Feel. revealed in, into your title somehow, and then you'll just sell millions of copies. Jewish and Yeshua or something. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, how long were you in Scotland then for? Uh that's funny. I can't, Ten days? I don't know. I can't remember. And you basically you went to the uh, you went to the library every day. Did you just rent a hotel next to the library? Basically, uh, uh, a hostel, nice. a lot cheaper. Yes. Yeah. And I got to witness to some people. So. Awesome. So every day you went to and what was the basic goal to actually not to sit there and read per se was it or was it to, more? Yeah. It was. It was to get a picture of every page of any everything that he'd published. So um, did you take a scanner? No. I no. I took pictures. We weren't allowed scanners. Oh really? Yeah, no. Um, Fascinating. Yeah, and 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 also to maybe to get a better sense of his his context as well. So I did read a few other documents. Um, he does respond to. I mean, he does attack one. He he does attack the the Episcopal Church in a pa- in a pamphlet, and then I found a response to that pamphlet, and then he responded to it. Um, so that was interesting. And then uh, is the rest of his work wackadoo like Two Babylons is? Well, no, no, not as much. Um, but it is, it is very, um, I don't know, it's very influenced by its time. So, for example, the first book that he ever published was in 1846, and it's called The Light of Prophecy. And in it, he goes over 2 Thessalonians 3, uh, two, chapter 2, verses 3 through 12, and goes through every point, line by line, and explaining how this fits exactly with Roman Catholicism. Um, and, well, so, I mean, it's... It's biblical exegesis. Some of it is true. I mean, some of these things that he's pointing out with Roman Catholicism is true. But then at the same time, I can see that he's sort of blinded by his context because he's not, he's not asking, you know, he's only thinking like Europe and sure. 18th century, right? He doesn't know that, you know, in a, in a hundred years, most people are going to be atheists, you know, in the West or, or unbelievers. I don't know. Um, and, you know, he's not thinking of like the wider world, Buddhists and Muslims and, and other religions, um, so, uh, sort you're I sort of veered off your question. Um, uh, if, oh, uh, yeah. Are the rest of his works as cuckoo? Well, I mean, yes and no. They're the rest of his works are more um, anchored, like are more similar to other works that have been published at the time. So, for example, in he in one he he published a pamphlet against a professor who was teaching something different on infant baptism. Okay, and. And this is the thing that I, that I discovered, and that people need to understand when they're reading Alexander Hislop. He was a minister in the Free Church of Scotland, which was a split from the main Church of Scotland in, in 1843 over the issue of, of the right of patronage, which was um, that the Church of Scotland was saying rich people, um, it, rich people had the right to basically determine who was the minister in a parish because they had the money. And so these, this more evangelical, more conservative group was saying, no, this is nonsense. What if, we, what if the guy who's, who's ministering to us is not um, biblical enough? You know, um, What if he's veering off into uh, Catholicism or something? How do we, we can't fire him? Um, so that was the issue over which they separated. And, and the Church of Scotland and the, the Free Church held to the Westminster Confession of Faith as their founding document. And they were found, the, the Church of Scotland was founded by John Knox, who was a reformer who's, who did spend some time uh, getting to know Calvin and in schools in Geneva. Um, and, so, I mean, and so these people were infant Baptists. They were Presbyterians. They believed in replacement theology um, and, and a whole bunch of other things. Um, and so, you know, when he's writing, you know, when he's writing against the Episcopal Church of Scotland, he sees them as sort of compromising and, and towards Roman Catholicism. And that's what he's afraid of. And um, he's, you know, in, in the news, like I read one, one article from the 1850s where it's talking about, um, uh, well, sorry, I should, I'm jumping ahead. Um, it, one big part of the context of his era was that Protestants in, Great, in Britain were afraid of the encroaching of the reintroduction of Roman Catholicism into England. And they were proud of the Protestant heritage and identity of, of um, Great Britain or, you know, Scotland and England. Um, and they didn't want to lose that. And they were scared of losing that. And um, the Catholics were having more um, influence and power in their day in, in Britain um, and, for example, in the 1830s and 40s, there was this movement called the Oxford Movement, which were high church Anglicans who were publishing pamphlets um, arguing for uh, Roman Catholic practice and teaching. And some of them even became Roman Catholics. If you've ever heard of, that's the story of a bishop, uh, Car- uh, Cardinal, Cardinal, no, Cardinal Henry Newman, who was, a, who was an Anglican bishop before he, he, uh, 
he, he switched betrayed, sides. Yeah, between, yeah, before he became a turncoat. Um, <laughs> and well, that's but that's how that's how people were. Sure. They were so worried about about the encroaching um, influence of Roman Catholicism. And so there's you know Alexander Hislop publishes a, a pamphlet against the Scottish Episcopal Church because because they're having a problem with one of their bishops arguing that you know arguing for transubstantiation, um, which is a Catholic doctrine that Protestants have historically argued against, and that I also believe is, is false. Um, and so, you know, he's, he's so worried about Roman Catholicism encroaching that he's like anything Protestant that's sort of close, you know, close to the edges, um, <laughs> he's going he's gonna, to, you know, point and shoot at. Um, and, um, and yeah, and, and that's the other thing that people need to realize when they're reading um, the two Babylons is that in, in it, he, um, for example, he sort of demonstrates how the Trinity comes from uh, paganism. But what he means when he's saying that, and if you read carefully through his book and through uh, his other writings, and if you know that he's a minister of the Free Church of Scotland who has to uphold the Westminster Confession of Faith, then you know that he's not actually talking against the biblical doctrine of the Trinity. What he's saying is that even the true doctrines, of, like even doctrines in the Catholic Church that are biblically true, come from paganism. <laughs> Okay, so when when the Roman Catholic Church says we believe in the Trinity and the full deity of Yeshua, um, he says, you know, he he says, well, but even that's not, um, even that's false. Where you guys get that from? Because we have that too. But we have the real true. kind. Yeah, we have the real kind. You but know. You, yours comes from pa from paganism. Right. So so and that's another problem because I've I've heard you know lots of messianics or. Hebrew roots are falling um, on, on that issue, on the deity of Yeshua. And some of it might be because of how they understand the two, the two Babylons, for example. Well, they, so, get, it, they get it from pa paganism. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so that's, I think that's... No, what I hear you saying, though, is there, there is a... You use the word he's afraid of. They yeah, want to a, preserve a purity over yeah. against a projected impurity, and they mm -hmm. don't want any stain or um, dilution of the... Of, of what they value so much, right? They mm -hmm. value this, this one thing so much, yeah. and they see it's being threatened, and so they're just doing whatever they can to make sure that those never touch. Yeah, exactly. It's like and... meat and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Except, except you, you don't eat cheese ever. It would be like. Right. Okay. So wait. Now, now, I'm. I was made aware by you actually. I did not know this that there's actually two Alexander Hislops. Talk about the difference between the two. Oh yeah, and this this is funny because I saw um, someone reprinted um, a book from the other Alexander Hislop from Edinburgh, who lived in Scotland in the 1850s. Um, someone read, you know, had purchased this book on Amazon and wrote a, a bad a review on it, and she was like, "I've read other of Hislop's things, but this is just nonsense. It's not even worth reading to children." And what she didn't realize, and I actually corrected, I also corrected the library at the um, at New College at the University of Edinburgh. I told the librarians they had a mistake in their catalog. Yeah, right. Because, <laughs> because right there's two so different cool. Alexander Hislops who were publishing in that day. One of Dude, them wait, was... Wait, wait, we should have given you cards, uh, Torah Resource Institute cards. Uh, excuse me, there is a mistake in your catalog. <laughs> yeah. I'm from Torah Resource Institute. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't tell you I was coming, did they? <laughs> <laughs> right no, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. That so, so wait, wait. So, what was the, so wait, the librarian, Andre, the, li the librarian was heard you out. Oh yeah, yeah. She was like, yeah, okay, we'll 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 keep. We'll, she took a note and, and said we'll send it to our our catalog um, keepers and it'll get fixed. Um, and and so yeah, so there's two different Alexander Hislops. One was a publisher. He wrote things like a book like on the Pro Proverbs from Scotland. Um, so nothing to do with the Bible, just like Proverbs, like common you know saying folk sayings. Um, and he so he he was a publisher. He owned his own public publishing press. I think he lived in Edinburgh. Uh, I, don't, I could be wrong about that. And he, um, he published after Alexander Hislop, the minister, died. So that's how you know that there's two different people. Um, and also the content is totally different. Yeah, um, totally. Alexander Hislop, you know, he always starts his, um, the one that I'm reading about, always starts his, uh, his books with, you know, he's a minister in the Free Church of Scotland in East Arbroath, um, in the congregation of East Arbroath. Um, sometimes he'll say the presbytery. And then and then, yeah, the content is always focused on the Bible or on, or on Catholicism or on Protestant issues of his day. So you can tell that there's two different people yeah. um, publishing at the same time with exactly the same name, and they're both Scottish. 
So. Okay, so we're almost at the end of our interview. I got one last uh, wrap-up question for you. Um, and that's basically let people know, uh, you know, the, uh, it's, a, it's a big, uh, for us, for Rob and myself, since I work for Torah Resource, obviously for my father, Tim Hag, and, and for uh, the rest of the staff at Torah Resource, it's, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're making history for the school by becoming the first, uh, the first person to, uh, to graduate with a three-year certificate program. Uh, that is saying that you uh, complete your thesis and, and finish your last class without, uh, you know, going off to some other university and forgetting about us. Uh, why don't you tell us <laughs> what you're doing? You're actually moving down here to Tacoma, Washington. Yes, and that's because you you are going to another university now. What where are you going? Uh, I yeah I've been enrolled to go to and been accepted into to UPS you know, the University of Puget Sound which is in Tacoma here not far from where we're recording this. You could walk from here. Yeah exactly. In probably about ten minutes. So yeah I don't know there's a number of reasons for this move but I mean one of the things is I, w I want a degree now because I want to get a master's I don't really care for the degree I feel like the education I've gotten at Tor Resource is. Um, way more than I could get at any Bible college um, for this, you know, for four years. Um, and so, anyways, the degree is just going to be, you know, um, maybe in humanities or arts. I'm going to try to learn some German so I can read German scholars, maybe some Latin, so to help me with reading older Christian sources. Um, and I don't know, we'll, we'll see what else I'm going to take and focus on while I'm there. But I wanted to be uh, close to this congregation as well. And uh, yeah. Back when, uh, let's see here, I was uh, I was 16 years old. I actually uh, was part of the University of Puget Sound Touring Orchestra and String Orchestra. Oh, so yeah? I've, I've spent some time on that campus, and it's uh, changed substantially in the past, what, 17 years, 18 years since, I've, uh, since I was kicking around that campus. Uh, it is by far, I would say, I would say it's probably in the top 10 uh, uh, most gorgeous campuses uh, in the United States today. It is, mm. it is very, oh, yeah, it is just absolutely beautiful. And it's, uh, if, if uh, any of our listeners are ever in Tacoma and you want to uh, relax and, and uh, just see, be able to free the mind and some beauty, then uh, walking through the UPS campus is definitely uh, one of the things that you can do. And uh, right now they're actually redoing one of the fountains there. I, I uh, rode my bike through the campus just the other day. So um, congratulations. We're, uh, we're mighty proud of you and we're, we're mighty excited for you to uh, not only be down here in our neck of the woods, but also uh, to to be the first student at Torah Resource Institute to graduate with a three-year uh, certificate. And uh, what an accomplishment it is. It is I, I'm in the same program. Uh, I think I'm in my sixth year. <laughs> I'll probably turn it into nine. It's uh, it's uh, a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. There's no doubt about that. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's work. That, yes, for <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, Rob, anything else you want to uh, ask or say before we uh, before we take off? And uh, tonight is Shavuot for us. So I would just what one thing, Andre, if you had uh, an encouraging word for maybe some listeners, some first-time listeners or old listeners, old meaning old, uh, one of the original 36ers, oh. um, just they are kicking around the idea of maybe diving into – a Bible language study or mm -hmm. specific history or something, but they're feeling a little uh, maybe overwhelmed by the scope. Uh -huh. uh, can you just give some words of encouragement, you know, pertaining to, you know, yeah, you don't, you know, the time, right? The time mm -hmm. and the hard work. Yeah. And then, but, but the, but the, the satisfaction and then the, the uh, joy on the other side of that. Okay, well, um, maybe with regards to how um, I've tried to manage my time and, and learning. Well, the, the first thing is that if you, if you take a class, a live class, like, uh, you know, we have live classes every week for all the, the language classes at, at Tori, so you have, um, then there's, you, there's a pace that is set for you that helps you keep going forward. And if you, just, um, if you just keep going through, you just do one chapter at a time and you focus on that and you focus on the homework and... and um, you take it one step at a time. Um, you know the the textbooks, the the grammars that that they're using um, for for Greek and for Hebrew are very well written grammars, and uh, we're we're thankful uh, to Hashem for for these scholars who put them together. Um, mm. And and yeah, and you know just taking taking the class forces you to um, or I don't know. For for me, it was it was it set the pace and it didn't allow me to like forget forget about it or let life. Um, sort of get take it out of my way um and yeah i mean it, it takes time um but once you get at a certain level of learning 
um, you usually maybe at the end of one year of Greek or one year of Hebrew, um, you have enough to keep studying on your own and to start reading the Bible on your own. And um, at the first, it's probably going to be pretty challenging. But what I found was very helpful for me to keep growing and learning more vocabulary and also getting used to reading the original languages is to uh, decide on a book that I want to read to through in, in the Apostolic Scriptures or in the Tanakh um, and to just go through it. And every word that I don't know, I'll, I'll put it in a, in a flash uh, card software that I have. Um, and that's another thing maybe that to encourage people would be to get some sort of flash, flash uh, card software because like Anki, for example, is, is free on the internet um, and you can... Um, it's... It knows when to represent cards to you, and it's a lot easier than having, you know, like fifteen hundred cards that you're cards that you're um, sorting through to try to learn your vocabulary. And so, yeah, but just going through a book of the Bible, you know, choosing, you know, like, or maybe going through the parasha portions actually is another really good way to do this because they're they're small, bite sized um, that you could do every week. And so, if you just go through those in the original languages. Um, over time, your vocabulary is going to grow. And that's the thing. It's, it's, it's over time. But eventually, you know, like at the point where I'm at now, I can just, I can pick up a section of the Bible that I've never seen before and, and understand most of it, um, most of the words, and, and, under, and not have to um, think too hard about the syntax to, to understand what I'm reading. So it's, it takes time. But at the end, the reward is, um, and I don't know if I should say this, you might, guys might get emails, but the reward is that, God's inspired the original text in the original languages. Um, he hasn't inspired the translations. Now, we thank God for the translations that we have, and we have very good, very well done translations. And God's word is, is pure and true in these um, translations when they're well done. But um, God didn't inspire the NIV or the SV. He didn't inspire the King James. He didn't inspire any, any French Bible or anything. He inspired the, the the text that the original writers were writing in. And if um, that's, I mean, that's as close to the text as you can get. That's as far into the mysteries as you can delve. And it's only a few years of work and you're there. Um, and you have the tools to uh, look at God's word unadulterated or something, you know, on that, and deal on with that all note, the issues let, yourself. Let's say someone, thank you for sharing that. I, I, I'm just on the flip side. Let's say someone, you know what? I can just learn all this by myself. What would you tell the person that says, you know what, I have the internet, I have YouTube, um, I can do all, I can, I can learn everything that you learned, Andre, and I can do it on my own uh, without any teachers. What would you, do? would you have anything to say to that person? Uh, well, the first thought that comes to mind is that, um in, in Yeshua's uh, ecclesia, in his kingdom, the method of, of teaching and, and of learning is relational. It's, it's discipleship is a person to person. It's not, um, it's not something that's impersonal. Uh, um, yeah, and the, I mean, you know, on a more practical side, like who's going to correct your, your homework and, you know, what encouragement are you going to get from a YouTube teacher or, you know, from from a textbook without without any human there to to you know any any friend in the Lord to help you um, help you along and, and encourage you and and uh, correct you and make you make you learn <laughs> mm -hmm. help you learn. So. Okay, well, congratulations. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I wanted to say one one more thing, um, <clears throat> which I think what what struck me um, more reading outside of Hislop, but like. Um, one of Hislop's books was published by a, a British, um, a, a Scottish Christian publication or newspaper. And this guy, this, this, the owner of this newspaper was the editor and publisher and, and, uh, of, of his own newspaper. And he published a, a whole bunch of tracts as well. And um, one of the books that he sold was this book um, that, Alexand that Alexander Hislop wrote on the same theme of, of the two Babylons uh, against Roman Catholicism. But what I realized in, in, in reading his, this newspaper and in reading other writings from this era that I got to look at when I was at the National Library of Scotland in Edinburgh is that um, there was a, a zeal and an energy towards evangelism in all of these, you know, in, the, in, in most of these churches in Scotland and in England um, and their their motives were were good in that sense and um yeah i i i think i think 
part of the problem with um, with believing the 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 idea that um, you know Christmas and Easter are pagan and just pointing that out to other believers is that that's not um, I don't know it's not discipleship. Well, first of all, it's not true, but it's not. You don't have a concern. Uh, I think a lot of the people who do it don't have a concern for um, for the the soul of this other person that you're trying to share this with. Instead, they have a concern to be right um, or something. Um, I don't know. I'm just. I just want people to get the point that in in the era that Alexander Hislop was writing in. You know, it's it's like today. There's evangelical Christians everywhere who have a, a zeal and a heart for sharing the word of the Lord and sharing the the truth of the gospel and seeing people's lives changed uh, mm. by God's grace. So, um, yeah, I think I think <laughs> in that sense, maybe part of what Hislop's intentions were were good, but he just I think he just went off you know, way off track on some of the things that he, um, he argued for and, and yeah. Great. Well, Hey, we uh, really appreciate you taking the time and coming in to, uh, to, to chat with us today. Normally our interviews are done over Skype, but uh, it was nice having you here Live. and yeah, having you next to me. Uh, no doubt about that. Uh, we are extremely excited for Andre and uh, the things that he is uh, going to go on to do and for uh, the opportunities that he's going to have. And we uh, are grateful that we have such a good uh, Bible student uh, graduating first from the three-year program at Torah Resource <laughs> Institute. That's uh, that's amazing. All right. Well, we hope that everybody enjoyed it. I know that everybody's on kind of a different, uh, different calendar than others. Uh, we're celebrating Shavuot tonight, uh, Tuesday night into Wednesday. And uh, so if you're not, I hope you enjoy this, uh, you know, recorded or whatever. I want to thank everybody in the chat room uh, who showed up without even knowing that we were going to be on, on air. It was great to see everybody there. And uh, if you want to, uh, if you want to take classes at Torah Resource Institute, we'd encourage you to do, do so. It. Go to uh, TorahResource.com and you can hover over our Institute tab, find all the information you need to know there. There's one, two, and three-year programs. And uh, of course, the one thing that we hope is that uh, the people who graduate from this school will go on to honor our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah.